Morpheus is fighting Neo! Hello and welcome to the Hollywood Fishbowl. I am and can only be your host, Jesse Kester. And today, I am joined by the one, the only, the singular, the illustrious... Dave Perloff. You need to put an effect on that. Oh, oh, we're putting effects on that. Grand Canyon. Yes. Uh, music Music is almost burning down. I'm way overjacked on caffeine at this point. I forgot. <laughs> uh, I'm catching up, man. I had a chai for right before lunch, and then I had another tea right after lunch, so I am vibrating at this point. Okay. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff today. We're going to talk about music. We are going to make a return to form where this podcast very this very podcast started its first genesis of the journey into what it has become today, and that is we're going to get back to background. background. Act. Yeah, that's how it all started, baby. It's fun. It's a fun topic. It's, yeah, and it's a great job. Um, we're going to talk about dealing cards. I imagine might come up yeah, in there. Yeah, maybe. And uh, do you gamble? Oh, a little bit. I play okay. poker. You know your way around a yeah, table? certainly. Anyway, we're going to get into that and more, including me giving you the show whenever I damn well feel like it. Right. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to do something called Five and Five, which I've explained so many times that I don't want to bother explaining it anymore. I, Are you I ready? I think I get the gist. Copy. Good. Let's so get I have it. like a minute or something? Yep. Yep. Five questions. You, you almost got me to explain it. I'm not doing it. I'm done <laughs> talking about Five and Five. Are All you right. ready, sir? I'm ready. Hit All me. right. Do you, would you prefer I call you Dave or Rice during this interview? Oh, come on. Dave. Okay. Rice is just, come on. That's not my name. <laughs> hey, at Rice Perloff on Instagram, everyone. And that's where that you can find a, my inside joke. Five and five. Let's get into it. All right. Question number one. Where did you grow up and how did that inform your adulthood? I grew up in Philly, well, a little town outside of Philly called Elkins Park, PA, but close enough. Uh, I think everyone from Philly has what I like to call the Triple H effect, and that's not like a wrestling thing. Hunter Hearst. That's not Hunter Hearst Helmsley. That's uh, harshness, Uh humor, and honesty. And I feel like those, from time to time, people will tell me that I'm too harsh, too honest, or... Too it's funny. too damn funny. Too damn funny. Uh, but but generally, um, that that being th- said, I, I think I have thick skin, and I think I know how to take a joke as well as bust balls. <laughs> have you considered pronouncing it honestly, just so it fits that? No. Okay. It would be. It would be if anything. If I changed any word, it would be humor Ooh. instead of humor. Humor. I'd love to know more about that, but I can't until we get into the rest of the show. That's fine. Question number two. What is the must-engage media, the book, the movie, the television Mm. show, the comic that opened up your brain to the secrets of the universe? Back to the Future. Part one, two, or three, or the trilogy? Well, uh, I know Back to the Future 2 was coming out, and I was like, Dad, what's that? And he's like, oh, no, you can't see that without seeing the first. And then, like, maybe a week later, he got me this VHS, mm-hmm. Back to the Future. He didn't tell me anything about it, because how do you explain time travel to, like, a eight-year-old or whatever? So I basically learned about this part of science fiction through Back to the Future, and it assumed that all time travel must be done in a car, and you know what I mean? But I think it really blew my mind as far as just uh, expanding my 
mind mm-hmm. into like a totally different realm. And it was like the first movie that I ever saw that like made me want to be the character, like wanted to be an actor or involved with film. Question number three, what brings you the most joy in this universe? Mm, I guess uh, bringing others joy. I really like when I've got a room or, or just, you know, a couple people and they're laughing hysterically. Um, I also feel like one of the, one of the things I love is jam sessions. And if, if we're improving, it's whatever, if we're covering you a song, it's whatever. Musical jam Mu- sessions? Yeah, musical jam sessions. Because I really like seeing how you can sort of pick up on somebody's vibe without expecting it to happen. And then mm-hmm. it just just turns into magic, baby. What instruments do you play? I play piano, uh, guitar, and, you know, I don't really play the drums, but I can, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, it's kind of like my, I never had space for a drum set sort of thing. Yeah, but, and uh, living in a city is a, not the mm, kindest place to pick up that new mm, instrument. There's really no good place. <laughs> uh Question number four, what gets under your skin? Oh, man. Probably people that drive slowly in the left lane on a freeway or or mainly don't use their turn signals. I think that that, to me, is the most dangerous and selfish thing you can do on the roads. So even if nobody else is around, you just use your turn signal and get that second nature thing going because it could save your life one day. Did you just get a Did ding? Did that beep? I heard a ding, and I don't think it was my thing. No. Oh, it was my Oh, thing. that's your text? You got a text. Yes. That's consummate professional right here. <laughs> um, I, am, I, I am also infuriated by... It's the worst. ...bad turn signalers. It's such useful information. We'll, we'll, we'll touch on that later. If, if we oh, we got like time. a full 15 minutes oh. set aside just for oh, pissing yeah, and moaning okay. about drivers. That's what I would love to do. Remember when you got here... What, I'd love to talk about this more. <laughs> Rats. Question number five. What is the best advice you've received and what advice do you want to put out into the universe? Um, well, I'll do part B first. The thing I want to put out in the universe is that uh, a lot of people struggle with their, like, what's the meaning of life or what am I going to do with my life and stuff. And I, I just say, if you're ever questioning that, just, just find out what it is that you're really good at, like the best thing that you're good at, that you like doing and find some way to use that to impact society in a positive way. Because as, as far as we're talking about joy, I think that would bring you a lot of joy. Jam sessions. The first thing that thought that popped into my head was uh, Swinky's going to be here soon, and I'm thinking that we might start scheduling out like a jam session. What does every she play? Week. A vocal cord. She, oh, sings, she sings. I guess is what you humans call that well, instrument. That's great for a jam session too. Yeah, but yeah. I'm trying to find people that we can invite over just to jam and maybe shoot a video or something and put it up on YouTube at the end of the session. Yeah, yeah you're, I'm, you're, I'm you, always down. Would you Would you accept an invitation to that? Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Let's let's turn the clock back mm. to Philly. Okay. You grew up, you were born, were you born in, in Philly? I was born in a town called Meadowbrook, okay. Pennsylvania. And it was probably about three miles from a part of Philly, like northeast part of Philly. Did you ever make it out to the Kutztown area? 
Or is that too far no, off? No, I mean, where is that exactly? Is, okay, that's is that near fair. Penn State or nice dig? You really got me there. No, no, it's, 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 Reading Allentown, right between the two of those. Oh, right. Yeah, we talked about that the other yes. day. No, no, I've never been there. I probably passed it, but never spent You're any savage. time. Savage. I'm sorry. Sa- why are you so mean to me? Well, let me ask you this: What's how did that? How did being from Kutztown or growing up there inform who you are? Uh, it's, it's a college town, kind of a hippie town too. So did you go to college there? Uh, for a year I went, right. it was kind of like a starter, like a jump start. Um, I, jo- I dropped out of high school and then ended up going to community <laughs> college to get my equivalency. Like if you get yeah. 30 credits or whatever in Pennsylvania, but you haven't graduated high school, yeah, you get from, oh, I, I know plenty of people that did that. Yeah. Yeah. From the governor, you get like a. What, why did you drop out? There were, what do they call it in divorce? Uh, oh, it was a divorce. Unsustainable. Problem. You were just having problems. Yeah. It, yeah. They, we were incompatible in a fundamental way. You and school? And school. And the school I went to, it uh. was, uh, I, I was in Hamburg, which was at the time, I don't know if this is true anymore, but like that was the neo-Nazi capital of Jeez. of Pennsylvania. <laughs> like whenever there was a KKK rally in Pennsylvania, it would be in Hamburg. Really? And yeah, yeah. When you're driving down the street in Hamburg, <laughs> you like you'll pass um, Katie's Country Kitchen, but everything is spelled with a K, and the Ks are really, really large oh, to gosh. let people know oh. like this is a, a KKK friendly. Or you'll pass. Custom car care with three gigantic K's for or custom car Kutztown care. Klansman gathering with the big K's, right? Kutztown Klansman <laughs> clathering. Clathering. <laughs> Sorry, I, I didn't have anything there. That's okay. <laughs> um, and it, there was there was this ah, there was this whole mess where the art teacher dropped the n-word in class and i called him on it and uh okay that's good how old were you 16 17 it escalated and it got to this thing where he said like if you are willing to de-escalate it like if you want to if you drop it i'll give you an a for the semester and that just made me more pissed off and then i took it up to the principal and the principal chewed me out for lying or trying to disparage the a teacher of the school, and then I escalated it to the superintendent, and the superintendent was screaming at me for being a liar and trying to disparage the school and trying to mm-hmm. throw. So anytime anyone's ever accused of being racist, basically you just tell them they're liars, and then it goes away, right? Um, it, <laughs> that's that's kind of what our I did our administration is doing. Yeah, right now. <laughs> no, I I dropped out of school after that because. It got really, it got ugly to the point, like the whole thing was unfolding and I was really good friends with the English teacher. God bless those English teachers in high school who are there to, you know, kind of stick it out with the students in the hard ways. But one day I was walking down the hall and I said, good morning to her. And she said, I'm not allowed to talk to you anymore and just walked away. And it was like, that was the last straw. Yeah. Yeah. Then I realized like I was completely alone in that school. What what about your friends or the people in your classes? My friends were all a year above me Uh and this was junior year that everything kind of like went to hell. So they were going to be leaving school. Yeah. 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 And I didn't want to do like, it got to the point like, yeah, that I'd be signing up for another year with these people. The faculty, the administration all know me, hate me. Those who don't hate me have been 
barred from interacting with me in any way. And my friends were all leaving. So I just dropped out and then went to community college to, to get my equivalency. Mm. Um, then did a year at Kutztown University to kind of uh, get my grades up as I applied to the school I really wanted to go to. And then I went to the school I really wanted to go to, which was North Carolina School of the Arts School of Filmmaking. Nice. And that's my story. What's yours? Uh, well, I, like I don't have you, any Kutztown racism stories. Yeah, any Philadelphia racism stories? Are absolutely. No. no. I mean, none that I was, you know. But yeah, it, it's definitely a weird... Pennsylvania's a weird state. It's You would think that with the black population being as high as it is in Philly, mm -hmm. that people who live an hour away wouldn't like be so unfamiliar with their culture, you know, in general. But I feel like the further I went away from the city, mm -hmm. the, the less, all right, how do I put this? The, the less people knew about differences in culture and race, the less they talked about it or whatever, but the, also the more idiotic they sounded whenever they did try to. But as far as like being racist, I really do think that the racism is more prevalent when you're around everyone. You know what I mean? It might be closeted and it mm -hmm. might be like something that you push aside, but if you're ever in a conflict, that's going to come out a lot more like, and, and in Philly, there's this weird congregation of like Irish Catholic people in like, I don't know what decade, but all of them bred just silly racist Irish Catholics in Philly. I don't know. I don't know. Like a lot of, I, but like, I, I, I mean, I think that one of the things that happened was when Italians and Irish and all those sorts of people immigrated, they were, they were talked down to and discriminated against just as, minorities are today mm -hmm. you know what I mean like and then it just got to a point where somewhere along the line they must have been like well you're white so we're gonna stop messing with you or something you know what I mean yeah yeah and so for me, maybe it was like a chip on their shoulder Irish people I don't know like well, every we're like you know like if you're a kid that gets made fun of and then there's a new kid that they're making fun of now what's that kid who always got made fun of gonna do not defend the kid he's gonna be like oh good yeah, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll yeah. help you guys. And then, you know, so that, that's probably what it is. Yeah. But. No, it's, that is one of the strangest phenomenons of human psychology. You would think that the ostracized minority would, would go be, to bat. Yeah, would be ready to fight for it. Like, mm -hmm. But it's just like a relief. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like yeah. oh man, this feels so good to not be the one yeah. that they're picking on or whatever. But... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, racism goes both ways. You know, like, I don't want to say it's, it's only a white problem, but I will say that Pennsylvania is just one of those weird, or at least the Philly, Jersey, Delaware area is just one of those weird spots where you never know who who thinks what, you know what I mean? It's And it's good to be disconnected from that place, <laughs> to be honest. Yes, there's... You know? I think about it a lot because there's a lot of like, there's a lot of beauty and wonder and good people in America. Mm -hmm. And then there's like the, you know, Mississippi, Alabama, they get all the press for racism. Like they, yeah, they get a bad rep. It's really, but I, th I think the racism in places like Pennsylvania, like places that have a liberal reputation, they're unionized. 
The, the racism there is so much more dangerous because it flies under the radar. And because it's closeted. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, when you think back to the slavery and stuff, um, there were a lot of people that were fighting in the North that were just, just as upset about black people becoming part of their society and not being slaves anymore either. And, and so with the South, they were like, no, we've hated this from the get go. And so when they abolished it and they sort of had to, let's just say the North tolerated black people and that they didn't wholeheartedly accept them. And then proof is obviously everything from the end of slavery to the civil rights movement to whatever. It was like a slow process. And I really do feel like there's like this like hidden secret resentment. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, man, I really, uh, I'm really glad I was on the right side of history, but dot, dot, dot. Well, that's, that happens. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody wants to identify with the right side of history. It's like the same thing how Republicans will never stop hammering that Abraham Lincoln was a Republican. (laughs) Right. Like, and, and meanwhile, like he got shot and he was like, you know, one of the most criticized presidents of all time. Yeah. And yet that's the guy they're identifying with. And I think that's kind of ironic, you know? Oh, oh, there's some <laughs> irony in the, the, in the Republican party at this point. I would, there's, yeah. Yeah. There's some, 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 every great president we've ever had has been a Republican. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that that's a lot of them repeat that nonsense, but yes, it's weird how it changes though. Because now Democrats are the ones that are on the, you know, uh, accepting, you know, trying to appease minorities uh, vote to get their votes and stuff like like it. And it seems like it really reversed itself because back then Democrats joined the Confederacy. Yeah. And so I don't know where that turned or what what caused the the flop. But I. I wasn't there, <laughs> but it seems like um, the turn took a long time to happen. But I feel like it was cal- calcified by Reagan. The and and I think the cal- the the turn is a turn towards capitalism mm. more than any any racial or humanitarian ideal. And I feel like that was the era that that we as a nation locked into capitalism in a in a meaningful way. Mm. That's all. That's all. Yeah. yeah. That's all I got. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe when I get that time machine, I'll go back and see what was actually going on. Here's yeah. the thing I think about with time machines a lot. Yeah. Okay. So like, imagine, think about everything that I love. Time machines, by the way, they're very fun to I think want about one someday. Who doesn't? As soon as I get that money up, man. Who doesn't want a time machine? <laughs> the thing I think about with them is like, imagine if you could go back to the Cold War or whatever, mm-hmm. the the Cuban Missile Crisis, for example. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um. Nobody on earth would know how it was going to end except for you. Right. So your baseline of stress would be through the floor. Right. When everybody else is burning calories on whether or not we're all going to die in a week, Mm -hmm. you could be burning calories on whatever you wanted. You wouldn't have anything to worry about because you would know that there is no imminent life threat happening to you at that moment. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I think about, you know, all these like Twilight Zone episodes I've seen of like, uh, you know, if you could go back and, and stop Hitler, there was one like that was black and white. And like, it's just kind of like one of those things where did everything 
happened to uh, like the way it was supposed to to get to this point in history where I feel like we're at one of the best times to be alive. You know what I mean? And all going into the past and re- rehashing that and trying to change it would do is, well, it could potentially harm the future. And, you know, if we, if we make strides too fast or, you know what I mean? Absolutely. And yeah. what, what you're talking about now is um, why I am not sold on the concept of free will. Because from this moment forward in your life, like imagine you have a, a thousand strings coming out of your belly button and those, those symbolize the thousand different things that you could do in the next 10 minutes. Hmm. And then after that 10 minutes, you'd have a thousand, each one of those strings would branch to a thousand directions. And then after 10 minutes, each one of those thousands upon thousands would branch out into another right. direction, right? Like that's, I see where you're going that's kind of how we think of the future. Uh-huh. But as you walk forward, all you only get to choose one of those paths. And coming mm-hmm. out the back of you is a single strand. You mm-hmm. don't get thousands and thousands coming out your back of what happened in the past. Yep. Because of that, um, you don't have a thousand strings coming out over the next 10 minutes. You actually only have one. Mm-hmm. And every other one is a simulation that your brain is running of what could happen if you make these different decisions. Most of that simulation happening subconsciously before you make a decision. Yeah. So do we have free will? I don't think so, because only one string comes out do. the back. Mm, yeah, but I do think that the closest thing to not having free will for me would be like a feeling of intuition that is is sort of like as if I'm as if I'm uh, being told by some force, no, 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 don't do this, you'll regret it, or or no, you better jump on this, you know, whatever the case may be. Uh, your ability to see consequences before you based mm-hmm. on experience or whatever in, and just having that like gut feeling as we call it is is sort of it's a, it's the decision making process it's part of it and I think that whether we choose to go against our gut feeling or 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 stick with it our first instinct that's free will making that choice right there don't you agree? I'm not sold yet. Mm-hmm. I'm still working on this one. I don't have an answer at this point. So are you, is there anything like religious about this? Well, that I think it, because that's where free will really comes in. That's a question I have for you. When you t- do you believe in a higher power? Absolutely. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, if I'm I, not sure what it is exactly, but I I have hopes. I have. If if know. someone had held, held a gun to my head and said, "Call it on Dave right now," I would have guessed like nilist. Why? I don't know. You're so quiet most of the time. Quiet. Yeah. And so quiet people are. Well, first of all, I'm not quiet most of the time. I Look, man, this know. is my show, yeah. not your show. If I've I say you're talking. quiet, you're quiet. <laughs> Believe me. I'm not quiet, okay? okay There's well, no okay. problem with my speech. No, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> uh, it's, it's fun having why, someone on from Philly because I don't worry that you're going to soften up on me. I am not going to. No. Uh, why no. do I think you're quiet? Yeah. Uh, because, and I'll tell you exactly why I think you're quiet. We used to do those movie nights, right? Uh-huh. And people would come over and there'd be a bit of a rowdy crowd and everyone would be chatting and then the movie comes on and people are still yakking the whole time. And I'm You'd not. be dead silent and this is... Uh, this is when I knew I thought you were a good guy. You'd be dead silent until the right joke came into your head and then you'd <laughs> say it under your breath for like the two people who were closest to you. Yeah. And 
I would always make it a point to sit as close as possible to you while we were watching the movie because <laughs> your fucking jokes during it were always slam dunks and I was so happy. Nice. I'm glad. So because you don't I, talk, I don't see myself as a quiet person. Though, because you don't talk through movies, I think you're a okay. nihilist. Well, that's good. I, I you know what? There are times where I'm more chatty than others. Mm-hmm. Like right now I've I've had coffee. So uh, you can't shut me up. But like uh, there's other times where maybe, you know, throughout the day some stuff has happened that I'm thinking deeply about. I, mm-hmm. I zone out a lot. And so movie night is like a perfect time to go and just sit there and not, you know, talk. I mean, we of course we had conversation before and after. Oh, yeah, but yeah, like, yeah. yeah. I'm not I, saying it, you're withdrawn or antisocial. In, in effect, but, you were actually just being respectful it, of the exhibition exactly. process. Like, isn't it rude to to talk through a movie? I know we're all there hanging out and everything like that. But unless it's a, a show or a movie that we've all seen, mm-hmm. you or, know, it's kind of like some people are like, hey, you know. Or your I comment is a slam dunk. Yeah. Then <laughs> keep your damn mouth shut. <laughs> um, no, it, and I think it's also that you're kind of even keeled as far as I can tell that mm-hmm. I would I would have... I wouldn't have guessed that you were a man of faith. Well, so it's weird because to to a person of faith, mm-hmm. I might seem like an agnostic or an atheist based on my ideas of what I think God is or mm-hmm. should be or How whatever. Would you define but it? but like to this? a person that is an atheist or a person that's agnostic, yeah. they would look at me as one of those idiots that, you know, that, that yeah, drank however the cool aid. Exactly, yeah. How do you define God, if I may? Well, I mean, and you're talking- there's certain, let's just say that there's certain aspects of religion that I don't really cherish or buy into, mm-hmm. but the general monotheistic, all-knowing, all-powerful, omniscient God, creator God, mm-hmm. just sort of, seems nice and makes sense when you look around and you see just how many times you could have died or you could have, I don't know, name a bad thing. And it didn't happen based on some, what seems like, uh, outside interference. You know what I mean? Angels, whatever you want to discuss. And I feel like those who live a life Sort of serving God or 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 just being grateful to a God will see these things more often than the people that have closed them their senses off to it altogether. Do you know what I mean? I do. And there's just certain experiences in in my life that have made me think there's no way that there isn't something else after this. You know what I mean? And just so we're we're on the same page, I am died in the wool agnostic. I'm not trying to come down on either side of anything mm-hmm. or convince you or say that you're right or wrong in mm-hmm. any of that. Um, the best version, what what you just described is uh, the best version of it, but it could also be called confirmation bias. What you what you were just talking about. That's exactly that why I said. That's exactly if why I said. If you're looking because- for it, you'll find it. Well, you know that your brain can like so. In if someone were to put a gun to my head mm-hmm. and say, "I think we need can to get you somebody say it with, with great a gun. certainty." Yeah, yeah. Let's load one up. Come on, and just see where this goes. Pull it out of that swinky video. <laughs> um, no, but I think uh, with with 
Do you own a gun? No. Okay. Have you have you shot one? No. Really? Yeah. We'll we'll get See, to that next. That's but. another thing. Is I I, w- I was very you, wrong about a lot of things. I would have assumed that you had shot one, but not that you owned think. it. <laughs> uh, well, actually, so it, we can get back to the gun thing now. I want to take this to guns. I think that guns are bad, mm-hmm. and I think I I understand why they were created, and I understand their use for recreation and everything like that. But I think obviously, obviously the world would be better place without them. With zero guns. With zero guns. Now, as far as wanting to learn how to shoot and know how to properly handle it and clean it and all that stuff, I think it's important as an American when you're surrounded by all these other Crazy people. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so it's yeah. a bit like the, you know, it's important to not be at a disadvantage if we ever get to a point, God forbid, where where there's, you know, chaos in the streets and, and, and stuff. But I, you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like if you get rid of them altogether, there's still going to be some guns. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you can't you can't just totally obliterate them. So no, no. But the hypothetical of one hundred percent of guns in the world and bullets are all gone, mm-hmm. and there's no future manufacturing of either. Well, th- uh, yes, that's let me ask you, There's no way to the, argue whether or not that would be aside better. Aside from sport and aside from you, you know, having to kill animals for food and and all those reasons that we used them mm-hmm. after they were created for war. What's the point? You know, it's just a better killing machine. Yeah, That's all it yeah. is. Think- and then they made one gun better than the other, and then it just got out of control. And now you see people shooting up schools. And yep, you know. And uh, I think at this point, the official stance of the Hollywood Fishbowl <laughs> is Sandy Hook happened. Yeah, never, ever, ever. Th- those three words, Sandy Hook happened. It's a hoax. No, no, nope, nope, never. <laughs> Why in the world ever let those ever words for, leave your yeah. head? Sandy Hook happened, yeah. and I think that we should be talking about that from now until there are zero guns on this planet. Yeah, uh, just because it's children doesn't mean that the other people who died were any less vital or no, or no, 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 no. I'm not trying to diminish any right. of that, but but you know, just but to add to that, like wrapped up in when you when you have. That kind of a situation happened, and still, and it's no not, response from the government. I, know, when I talk about yeah. Sandy Hook, I mean the aftermath of that, and the dead silence from our government, and the failure to pass meaningful leg- legislation. That's mm-hmm. all tied up in Sandy Hook, and you know why, right? I'd like to hear. I have my I mean, feelings why, I mean, but this the, is your. Obviously, when you have a house that was um, Republican mm-hmm. uh, majority, and then you have. A Democrat president, and then you add on top of it that you have a black guy as a president, and you have a lot of which we see now. A lot of people didn't like that specifically, just because, and then they just wanted to oppose him. For yes. it, it's not just politics, but even if it was just politics, you have the one side. The right side is more gun oriented, and they're more tied to the. Um, what do they call it? The uh, the gun the NRA. Yeah, the NRA. The NRA, yeah. as yeah, yeah, I yeah. call it. And they have to. They still, ha- at the end of the day, they have to appease their base, and they mm-hmm. have to appease the NRA because they get money from them. And so, it's all politics. And and while no person could sit there and look you dead in the eye and say, 
um, like Sandy Hook wasn't a big deal. Like everyone agrees that that should never happen. It was a terrible tragedy, but they're not looking at the gun as the thing being responsible for doing it. They're looking at the guy or, you know what I mean? And, and so that's their easy out. Yeah. Their easy out is we need to focus more on mental health. And then they say that and it sounds, sounds great, but it's like, well, you're not, you're not focusing more on mental health and mental health is only getting worse with, you know, the pharmaceutical. I mean, I could go on and on about oh, yeah, the pharmaceutical yeah, yeah. companies, but, but this is why we have mass shootings. A lot of people go crazy and they don't know how to deal with their anger and they don't speak to a therapist and blah, 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 blah. So maybe if we had free healthcare, then everybody could be assigned a shrink or a psychologist, whatever. And then it, the same way as like a, a cop or somebody that has to go to a shrink, has to go to a shrink, mm-hmm. everybody would have somebody that they can talk to. You know what I mean? And maybe, just maybe, one of those things could be prevented aside from the slander of guns. You know what I mean? And all these tendrils go back to that turn of Reagan. Like, it all feels like it goes back, that that was the moment that America turned into what it is, what it has become now. That if that, if he had not been in office, if we had gone on another thread from our little belly buttons, um we'd be in a very different reality right now. I, the, 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 oh yeah, I get fired up. Hey, no, I, I get it. Um, I don't really know too much about policy that happened mm-hmm. back when Reagan was president, but I do know the effect that his presidency has on our present right now. Yeah. And obviously right now you just have somebody that's trying to mimic him in a way. He wasn't a politician. He wasn't, I don't believe Reagan sat in any sort of office or political. Was he wasn't like a governor or anything like no, that? I think for he us, just, huh? yeah. So he just ran based on his name and based on this radical change that he was going to bring about. And it's exactly the same thing. Trump and they even used the same slogan. <laughs> so it's like I just I don't want to I don't want to call him like a copycat president or anything like that because no, he's an original because one hundred percent unique in our yeah in our country. The only reason I'm bringing up Reagan so much is because I think the clunkiest joke in Back to the Future one is what do you mean the actor? <laughs> the way he delivers that line is so like shoehorned. The, who's vice president? Jerry Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and at the as a kid, you know, none of that stuff made any sense the first mm-hmm. time I watched Back to the Future, and that's why I love it because I'm always catching like new little subtle things that young youngsters wouldn't even. I mean, generationally, mm-hmm. if you were a kid now watching Back to the Future, you wouldn't know any of the references that they make. You know what I mean? So, uh, <laughs> with the wisdom of hindsight, one is kind of what opened up your brain. But of the three, which do you think is the best film? Uh, two. Two, Back to the Future 2 is my favorite. Why? I don't know if it's necessarily the best. What makes I guess it your one favorite? would be the best because of how like groundbreaking and different and And also and how script, compact. Like one exists script. on its own, but the other two rely on the other films. Like they kind of lean on each other a little bit. Yeah. Uh, why is it my favorite though? Yeah. Because they... So the first... Who would you say the main protagonist, like aside from the main character, the protagonist, the person that has to change the most, the one Mm -hmm. that's got to go through the change is George McFly. 
And in the third one, the one who has to change the most, the one who the story is basically about is Doc. But two is all about Marty. It's about his future, the kids. It's about having to go back and, you know, oh, there it is. (laughs) We wait for that on every episode. (laughs) Stop. Yeah. You have to go back and you have to stop the big bully from becoming a millionaire. And then when you get to the place that you thought you had to go, it's all different. You know, there's a lot of adventure in it. And I think it was, you know, in the first and then the third, there really only is two times that they travel. They go back and then they go forward. Oh, yeah, But in two, they're going every Every, which way. The car's flying. You know, you have all these aspects. timelines. You've been in all different. Two. All right. I need to stop. No, no, no. It's amazing how (laughs) we talk about God. We talk about guns. You're uh, stoic, controlled. But but it's back to the future. That's when the animation starts. I told you. This is the the must engage. Yes. The movie. Uh, But yeah, man, like... uh, no kid watching Back to the Future is is worried about the angle of, oh man, that would be so weird if my mom had a crush on me, like that kind of thing. They're they're more into the the sci-fi angle, yeah. you know, like oh cool, you know. And I think that when I saw it, especially back then, like that was what uh, I was like, this one's way more fun than the first one. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, have you ever been on set with Christopher Lloyd? No. Okay. That would be something, though. Yeah. What are your best backgrounding jobs? Like, what are the ones that stuck out? Oh, man. There's so many. Like, as far as what? Like Just the ones that, the sweet memories. Oh, man. When you look back on this era in your autumn years. Well, my first, first job, um, my first paying job, I should say, because I did background once on uh, Garfunkel and Oates. Do you know that? Mm-hmm. Music, music group yeah they had something that was like really close to my house and one of my philly friends actually knew somebody that got me attached to that mm-hmm. just as like a fun thing to do but but the first thing i got booked for was parks and recreation mm-hmm. and I, I never watched the show at that point and they were in season six and i was just like just the fact that i knew it was a show that everybody was that was like a beloved show and there was all these good actors and stuff like I got excited I was like you gotta be kidding me this is so cool so instantly I was I was going from a point where I'm like yeah I don't know if this is gonna be a thing that's gonna pan out to oh my god I got booked and then they're like you're on Parks and Rec and I was just like what and then when I get there of course I'm all starstruck and I'm I'm, I don't know how to act on set I'm just kind of following in tow and one of these guys that does background all the time. He probably still does background. I don't know. But he, he was just like, Oh, this is your first day. Well, let me tell you everything that you need to know and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like that experience, that memory stands out just because it was so new, you know, but, uh, what? No, you just reminded me that the trailer just came out for like my, the second day I was doing wine country with, uh, Amy Poehler and a whole bunch of other people. I I love her. Uh, the Let's trailer see. just dropped for it. It's some Netflix feature film. So I'm very excited to uh, to give that a look-see. Nice. Yeah, no, uh, like, uh, I remember doing did, that. Did you get breakfast that day? Was it like, did you, did yeah, you learn about the it omelet like and all that It was like a 6 a.m. call, and I'm like, what is this? And then I didn't get done until like 9 at night, and uh-huh. it was a really super long day. And I just remember being so satisfied, like... Wow. Like, even though I didn't do shit, basically. Yeah. I'm still there. I still saw Aziz Ansari and Chris Pratt and all that. You know, it was a... Did you watch that show? Are you familiar? 
I, I watched an episode or two. It okay. didn't. It didn't catch me. Uh, well, season one's not the one that's that great to catch you. Okay, should I start it on it's season a, two? Episode well, you remember one? the writers' strike and how every season of every show that that year was like kind of small. Yes, I think that's the same way with Parks and Rec. I, th- okay. I think there's only like seven episodes or something like that. So get through that, and two is absolutely way funnier, and then it just gets better and better and better. Okay, you know what I mean. There's there's a lot of love for Parks and Rec in my family. Uh, and I, I'll, I'll mm. give it, I'll give it a shake. Well, yeah. So after seeing, so after doing those, two, it was a two day call. And after the second day, I was like, I need to see what this show is all about now. Mm-hmm. And then by the time I actually got booked on that show again, I had already been caught up and everything. So being there again and like knowing all the characters' names and mm-hmm. the jokes that they made now finally getting to understand yep. the context behind them and stuff. I mean, that, that was probably one of my funnest days too just because and and this was a huge cattle call like yeah like i want to say 500 to a thousand people like, that's a lot of people yeah it was a huge like concert two-day thing and okay i don't know but as far as like favorite some of my favorite days are simply based on who was there like which which celebrities i mm-hmm. like were there or or how engaged I was in the scene or whatever but another one that really stands out to me is um when I first met Bill Hader and wait a minute yes you were I you were deep in, on that one I stood in on, on Barry who are you standing the, in for Noho Hank you know the bald guy body that guy yeah that body Russian body, guy he's yeah. not really Russian anyway but uh yeah just just being a fan of him and, you know, always liking his Saturday Night Live stuff and whatever. Dude, he's the best. He, he's so good he's- at impersonations and he's really like, you know, funny. And, and I just I just remember um, seeing him and being like, oh, that's cool. But never expecting that this was going to be a more than one day yeah. thing. And then they keep bringing you back. And then the guy knows your name. And by the end of it, you know, he's like, hey, how you doing, man? Like... Like, like when I did, I did a little, like the next season as well and was so surprised that he even like remembered me, you know what I mean? And it's just kind of cool and humbling to, to know that these guys are just regular people. Now, how much of the filming are you seeing then? Like, are you only, so only his stuff, Okay, you know, there's a lot that happens. I don't know if anybody watches Barry, but there's like two aspects. If you're not watching Barry, get your head on It's about a, it's about a. You know, a mass murdering hitman that, or not mass murdering, but just a hitman that does hits. And one of the people he has to kill is like an actor and he follows him to a class and then ends up like accidentally like uh, auditing the class. And then they involve him and then all of a sudden he falls in love with acting and he's got like these two worlds. Well, I'm only there for the like bad guy hitman stuff mm-hmm. world. The, the character Hank doesn't even see. Henry Winkler or any of the acting yeah, stuff or yeah, anything. Yeah. So all that stuff to me is a surprise. But like the stuff that they work on, I'm pretty I'm pretty into the show. And even beforehand, it was really funny stuff. So like, so you would have as, been there. As, I'm not just one of those stand-ins that walks away. Yeah, and you were like, there for the garage scene in the first. Season. Yeah, all that. that I was. Shit was I had bananas. to like get, get down on my knee and like sit there on my knee while they set up every shot because for some reason this character is always like in this weird physical position where he just like 
hunches down and mm-hmm. like gets on a knee. Like that's creepy. <laughs> Such a good show. And yeah. it's so cool that you're involved in it. And fucking Bill Hader is just the best. Yeah, like man. everything, everything I've seen him work on has been a home run. You know, not only that, but when they do something that's funny and he's not in the scene, like if he's either directing or just mm-hmm. there and he's, he's, he's around, he pops whole, around like okay. on days where he, he might be shooting something else or doing whatever, but he's typically, he's the creator. Yeah. And that guy, yeah. Alec Berg is usually always there. So when, um, when, Whenever there's like a funny scene or a joke or something like that everybody's kind of laughs at, he's always laughing the loudest and he can't stop. And that to me, that silly nature, it's not like he's any less professional than you would expect, but he's, he's having so much fun and it's like his baby. And I guess that falls into it too, that it almost brings you down to earth as a bystander or whatever, you know, background or stand in, whatever to just know that they're not taking themselves too seriously during this process. And that was from season one. Cause I'd imagine like episode one, season one, there would be less levity and more pressure, but now like season two, once you know that it's working. So what they did was they shot a pilot and then they brought it to the, this is just what I heard from like eighties and stuff. They brought it to the, um, whoever decides what to keep and stuff. And they basically, said, we need to reshoot most of this stuff. And it was like a whole year since it had, the pilot or the first episode okay. had been shot that they went back, did a couple of reshoots, and then started episode two, three, whatever. And so at that point, I think they were already over that. They, okay. they, yeah, knew, yeah, they yeah. knew it was definitely getting picked up. They knew that they had no pressure. They just needed to provide a really good And if they didn't have all one. the scripts, they would have had the Bible and known that they had a good formula mm-hmm. ready for the show. Yeah. That's awesome. It's, it's that, mm-hmm. Oh, I was just going to say that that same thing happened with that show Future Man. Mm-hmm. I just happened to get, just one day, it was just standing in for this guy, Paul Shear. But uh, standing in on that, they they did the pilot for Future Man and mm-hmm. then... Wait, were you standing in for Paul Shear? Just, uh, yeah, just yeah, on the pilot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just knowing that that had already been something that was in the works for like a year and then they were going back and doing reshoots. Mm-hmm. It's like, I guess the process is you put together a pilot and if the network likes it, but they want to make changes, I mean, it's, it's very, that's where you're like, free will is out the window, (laughs) but like, you know, so then if you want to keep your show, you got to do what they want. And so they, they go back, they do reshoots, whatever, but it was so cool being there and seeing Seth Rogen's like comedy director style because mm-hmm. he'll do all the lines, he'll do all the takes, and then for like 15 minutes, he'll just be feeding them lines on the very last take. Like, okay, now say this, and now do the one where you did this, but do it fast. Now mm-hmm. do a fast version of this, and blah, blah, blah. And then he'll just write jokes on the spot, and we're all giggling and like trying not to laugh because it's the first time that we've like heard all these things, you know? And I guess mainly these shows will do that from time to time, but they, mm-hmm. they basically... Um, you know, just in case kind of a thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that was really fun. Was there any room for improv on Barry? Cause it's so tightly scripted. It doesn't seem like there'd be, I, I guess there'd be that. I didn't much notice it because, yeah. you know, Stannons, we get the script and we get to see, and a lot of times I'll read through and if they do something different, it's really subtle and it's really just like a different way of saying the line as opposed to, you know what I mean? 
I want to talk about your card dealing thing. That's How did just, you get into that? It's a random, you know, every one avenue leads to another. Um, this guy I knew from catering, one of my good friends, Mike. Were um, you a card guy before you got to LA? Yeah. You were playing, what, were the, what was your uh, game so of choice? Texas Hold'em. Okay. You know, uh, I want to say right when it started to get really big on ESPN and mm-hmm. that guy, Chris Moneymaker, if you've ever heard of him, he like won a bunch of money online and then like entered the entered the World Series of Poker event, uh, you know, basically for free or like for a very small amount. But the buy-in's like 10000 So that was like revolutionary to popularizing. Mm-hmm. If anybody, if any old person can just suddenly become rich or whatever, you know, we all yeah, can. Yeah, kind of yeah. And so right around like 2004, they started like 2003, 2004, they started putting it on TV a lot. And I remember being at the pizza shop that I worked at at the time and just seeing it. And next thing you know, a couple of my friends know how to play and we're like, hey, let's have a game. And it turns into like all these other people just by word of mouth started to come to these games. And there were times where we didn't even have a room at the table. Mm -hmm. We loved this game. And it wasn't even really about the money. It was about getting together and just playing this fun game, you Mm -hmm. know. Money, of course, is a big factor. Well, yeah, it's it's and you could walk meal. away pissed off or whatever if you lose. But uh, I think ultimately the game itself is so cerebral. Yeah, and there's a lot to it more than just the cards, you know. And so anyway, um, one of my buddies knew that I played, and I met him through catering, like I said. And he just hit me up one day and was like, "Hey." are you good at dealing? And I was like, yeah, I mean, I can deal. I've played cards for a while. And he's like, well, I want to have a get together with you and just work on some etiquette and just make sure that you're doing everything in the right order mm-hmm. and so forth and so on. And then the first gig was like a house party where like these rich people in the hills or something were like having a birthday and they just won a little poker tournament and they just invited three dealers. And how it works is it's never for... Unless it's a house party, it's always for like some sort of charity event or something. Mm-hmm. If they ever do play for money, it'll be like 50-50 pool or something like that. But essentially, you know, uh, I deal blackjack. I've dealt craps. I've uh, done a little uh, three-card poker. And it's just like a little side gig for extra cash. Do you play? So occasionally I go to Vegas and I'll play blackjack or roulette or whatever, but... About once once a month, once every two months, I'll go mm-hmm. play a tournament down at the Bicycle Casino, which is in L.A. It's like in Bell Gardens, just to get the the itch. Do you win you know? when you play blackjack? I mean, are you careful Blackjack? Enough? Yeah, not really. I mean, it, it's hit or miss, but I know that that game is, it's just luck. It's just, a, you know, it's like the house has the odds to win. Mm-hmm. And if you do have a good stretch, it's going to end eventually. So the key to those types of luck, like games, like poker, you have a lot of control. Yeah. You know? But Wait, I thought blackjack you had more likelihood of. You, you do have control. You don't have as much control, that, but you have a uh, probability you, is. Right. Like you can make decisions that will affect the outcome, mm-hmm. but it's still the house has yeah. is in favor. But when you're playing poker, you're not playing against the casino. You're playing against people. So it's kind of like you versus them, and the casino is just taking their 
Oh, like there's rake, there's no bluffing in blackjack. There's, there's no, no bluffing. Yeah, no. there's no learning the personality of everyone at the table. No, none of that. None of that is part of the game. Yeah, you know, and that's why I think poker, especially Texas Hold'em, is like one of my favorite games. It's just because of how how much you have to think, how much you have to read people. You know what I mean? There's a lot more to it than just picking up cards and throwing in chips. I'm done. Yeah. I'm out. You know, if we're going to take a break or something for the music, when we come back, I'd like to touch on some more stuff that we were talking about before. Yeah, the show's yours. You yeah, can touch on whatever the F you want. All right, man. 